Welcome. You are listening to Liberty Solutions Now. On this show, we'll address the topics of natural law, consciousness, mind control, the occult, and everything else that is related to freedom on Earth. Liberty Solutions Now will take a look at what is truly going on around us and within us in order to offer powerful, grassroots solutions to the biggest problems we are experiencing. Now here is your host, Justin Bauman. All right, welcome to the show. My name is Justin Bauman. This is episode six of Liberty Solutions Now. My website is libertysolutionsnow.com. Today is Wednesday, April 13th, 2022. In the last episode, we talked about how freedom has requirements. It is impossible in nature to be ignorant and truly free. True freedom could only come into being if knowledge is present in the individual and if they embody the correct constitution under natural law. Next, we talked about how some listeners may think that this content so far is very reductionist. It is not. At its core, the universe operates in accordance with basic overarching principles, and these principles are simple to understand. It only looks like reductionism if you're only examining the plane of effects, which is the external world, because there are so many different types of phenomena taking place. There could be thousands of types of phenomena taking place in the physical world, but they still only have a couple of root causal factors. If you can understand how these few causal factors that exist on the invisible plane of causality, then you'll have the ability to accurately predict a variety of behaviors that will then take place in the realm of effects. The goal of this show is to help you to understand enough about our reality to be able to do this yourself. The problem is so many people get lost in the physical phenomena, and because of how much there is going on in the realm of effects, they think life is complicated to figure out. Not knowing there exists an invisible realm of cause, they then only focus their efforts in the realm of effects to try to bring about the positive change in their own lives and in the world. This won't work. And it never will work, because it can't work. My hope is that you can deeply come to know why as you continue listening. Then we talked about how to actually learn from the show. Stay open-minded. Don't reject or accept any idea blindly unless you're able to verify it as true for yourself definitively. Cultivate a strong will and intention to learn, despite the fact it'll make you feel uncomfortable and emotional at times. Lastly, be willing to be confused for a while. Being in a confused state presents an opportunity for learning. Continue to take in more information and your confusion will likely be cleared up in time. Next, we cover the topic of what rights are in reality, not what government institutions say rights are, what rights actually are. Our rights come from nature, from God, or from the laws of the universe. It doesn't matter how you want to think about it. This is important to understand because if humanity fails to recognize these natural law rights and continuously violates them, a system of control and chaos comes into existence. We then, on the flip side, in the previous episode, talked about what wrongs are under natural law. A wrong is any immoral act that violates another being's natural law rights and causes harm. We have the right to do millions, if not trillions, of things. There are so many actions we can take that don't unjustly cause harm to others. It's too many to count. All of these actions we have the right to take. On the other hand, there are only a few actions we don't have the right to take. The immoral acts we don't have the right to take without negative consequences all involve theft in some way, if you look deeply enough at them. So if you want to shorten the golden rule into two words, they would say, don't steal. Next were the two pillars of freedom or enlightenment that are responsible for creating and maintaining freedom in the external world. Both pillars are required. Having only one or the other is not sufficient. These two pillars are the non-aggression principle and the self-defense principle. Adherence to the non-aggression principle means humanity does not wrongly violate the natural law rights of others. 
Adherence to the self-defense principle means humanity defends its natural law rights when others are aggressing against them. Then we talked about the difference between force and violence. These two concepts are critical to comprehend to understand the non-aggression and self-defense principle. Force is a voluntary action based on morality and natural law. They're actions which one possesses the right to take. Violence is an immoral, coercive action that opposes natural law. You have the right to use force, but you never have the right to use violence. Remember, conducting violence doesn't just mean someone is wrongly causing physical harm to another being. There can still be violence taking place even without there being direct physical harm. Wrongly threatening, defrauding, extorting, robbing, etc. are all acts of violence under natural law. All violent acts are a form of theft in one way or another. The very last idea we talked about was redefining words. We can change the definition of words all we like, but we can't do it without negative consequences. We can believe that we can change the definitions of words and not experience negative consequences, but simply believing so would never make it true. It's not true. The reason why is because the original definitions of force and violence describe subtle, nuanced aspects of natural law. If the definition is changed to something else, then you lose the ability to comprehend aspects of natural law that are critical to understand if you want to bring about order and freedom in the world. If you don't understand what force and violence really are, you can't live in alignment with objective moral law intentionally. As you begin to violate moral law out of ignorance, even if it's accidental, you'll still ultimately end up producing chaos and slavery in the world. Now that that's done, let's get into today's topic. We're going to go even deeper into breaking down natural law and what violating it and living in alignment with it ends up looking like in the real world. Natural law is ultimately expressed through seven basic principles, which means first things. Those who know and adhere to these principles possess the key through which the wisdom of the universe is unveiled. Here are the seven principles. We have the principle of mentalism, the principle of correspondence, the principle of vibration, the principle of polarity, the principle of rhythm, the principle of cause and effect, and the principle of gender. We're not going to deeply go into each principle today, but we will on future shows. Some of these you may recognize already. I already briefly mentioned the principle of correspondence in a previous show, for example. This is the last law that says as above, so below, and as below, so above. What is happening in the micro, you'll see reflected on the macro scale, and what you see on the macro is reflected on the micro scale. We're going to mostly focus on the principles of polarity and cause and effect today. The principle of polarity is what states that love and fear are the two generative forces in the universe that create our experience of reality. The principle of cause and effect describes morality's role in generating our experience, whether that be negative or positive. The principle of cause and effect is what I typically just call natural law. Before we move any further, there's something I need to make clear about these seven natural law principles. Belief in natural law or disbelief in natural law principles are completely irrelevant. You are still bound by them. They're like the law of gravity. You can disbelieve in gravity all you want, but if you jump off a cliff, you will still fall to the ground. Natural law has been known by many names throughout history. It's been called the law of cause and effect, the law of attraction, karma or moral law, and has been turned into a commandment that has come to be known as the golden rule. Living out of alignment with natural law or opposing moral law principles always result from being a slave to the polarity of fear in nature. 
When someone has become a slave to fear on the mental plane of existence and live in fear and the reptilian part of the brain chronically, chaos and slavery ultimately end up being the only conditions that can manifest. This flowchart accurately describes what ends up happening in the external world when someone is creating from the polarity of fear. At step one, it starts with the mind. Holding on to fear leads someone to being stuck in a state of ignorance and cowardice. This is where the mental slavery is. Here, at step one, this person is already a mental slave. They are a slave in the mental realm of existence. A person stuck in a state of ignorance and cowardice is already fucked and they don't even know it, even if nothing bad has happened to them in the outside world yet. They stay in ignorance of what's happening in the world because it's too uncomfortable for them to look at. They're afraid to look at what's happening in the world because of how it may make them feel. So here, it's their fear that's keeping them ignorant. On top of that, because they're ignorant and don't understand the problems the world faces, they can have no knowledge of what the solutions are. You cannot understand the solutions to fix things until you understand thoroughly the problems that broke them to begin with. Without knowledge of solutions to the problems, this creates fear. So here, it's also ignorance that's keeping them fearful. It's this unholy union of both ignorance and fear that keeps people stuck. They play off each other in a self-destructive way. Ignorance keeps you fearful and fear keeps you ignorant. From here, in the external world, ignorance and cowardice takes us to step two. Step two is the abdication of personal responsibility. Abdication just means giving up your own power. So when you abdicate personal responsibility, you're giving up the personal power you have to personally create positive change in your own life. Once enough people abdicate their personal responsibility out of ignorance and cowardice, a power vacuum gets created. Nature hates vacuums and always desires to fill it. Once someone fails to take personal responsibility, someone else then has the opportunity to do it for them and claim the power this person is giving away. As more and more people in society fail to empower themselves by taking personal responsibility in their own lives, more and more power becomes available for someone else to take. Those that typically end up claiming this power are government institutions. Once this starts happening, we've reached step three on the flowchart, which is the centralization of power. Government becomes increasingly more powerful as it fills the power vacuum individual citizens have created by abdicating their personal responsibility. With this new power, government institutions now have leverage over you. Once all this power starts getting abused, we've arrived at step four which is chaos and slavery in the external world. This is when we start seeing authoritarianism and totalitarianism in all its different flavors. There really is not much of a difference between Nazism, communism, and fascism. In every case, it's a small group of individuals using the leverage and power of government institutions to claim ownership over its citizens. It's a war on all its citizens, not just some of them, all of them. Even if the type of totalitarianism appears targeted at first in its early stages, make no mistake, they're coming for everyone. Once I put episodes together on the nature of evil, it'll become clear to you as well that this is exactly how it works every single time. A perfect real-world example where you can see this flowchart in action is in the subject of self-defense. There are a lot of people who tend to be left-leaning in their ideology that are afraid of guns. They don't want ordinary citizens to own guns because they fear it'll lead to a higher rate of indiscriminate gun violence in society. Some may even be afraid of learning how to use a gun because they know nothing about it. When there's unfamiliarity, there's fear. They're also ignorant to the fact that the founders included the Second Amendment in the U.S. Paper Constitution for a very specific reason. It wasn't for hunting or for sport. 
The primary reason was actually for self-defense against a tyrannical government. Not owning a firearm leaves citizens completely defenseless physically, and government abuse becomes inevitable at that point. They're also ignorant to the fact that guns don't kill people by themselves. People kill people. The real reason why people wrongingly kill each other lies on the plane of causality. In a nutshell, it's due to the way we live, how society is structured, and inadequately dealing with mental illness. So these anti-gun folk are at step one of the flowchart. Their ignorance and cowardice prevents them from owning firearms and advocating for others to own firearms as well. At step two, they fail to own personal firearms, discourage others from owning them as well, and actively attempt to get government institutions to pass so-called laws to restrict them for ordinary citizens. If they succeed in doing this, that takes us to step three in the flowchart. The result of step one and step two is that government power increases and power becomes more centralized because government employees, such as the police and military, are the only ones that have guns. This centralization of power creates a psychopath honeypot, where evil people that desire to control others are drawn like flies to honey to government positions. Their ruthlessness then dramatically overpowers those who wish to do good within government institutions. The final result at step four is a police state. Police officers and soldiers no longer have any fear of civilians and do whatever they want and what their bosses want, seemingly without repercussions. If the government reaction to the COVID-19 so-called pandemic didn't wake you up to this, I don't know what will. You had Chinese citizens get their doors welded shut during the lockdown so they couldn't leave. You had Australia and other countries experience hard lockdowns for years without any data to justify it. You had police arresting people for violating lockdown measures trying to transport fast food. Imagine this. You had people getting arrested for delivering buckets of chicken. Australia is an unarmed society. What would have happened if Australians went out in groups and open carried? Perhaps the police wouldn't have acted as boldly as they did. To contrast the fear flowchart, let's now look at the generative force of love flowchart. Like I said before, love isn't referring to romantic love or brotherly love here. These are just small aspects of what love is in its totality. Love is the polarity or force in nature that expands consciousness. The manifestation of love in the physical world also can take on a variety of different forms most people wouldn't expect. It can look very different depending upon the context and the particular action being taken, but all this variety still arises from the same polarity. It is the direct opposite of the polarity of fear. Fear is a principle in nature that shuts down consciousness. Knowledge and courage can only come about when the polarity of love is present in one's life. Knowledge and courage can only come about in the absence of fear. This is because when fear is absent, you're not afraid to learn about the world and everything that is going on within it. As you begin to learn more about the world and yourself, you start getting a more clear picture of what the solutions are to the problems we face. Increasing knowledge of this eliminates even more fear, leaving open the opportunity to take in even more knowledge because you're in a state of receptivity. Living in alignment with natural moral law occurs when one allows him or herself to be guided by the force of love, which is also the absence of fear. In this state, the individual has broken the chains of mental slavery and is now experiencing freedom on the mental plane. Knowledge and courage will tend to come more naturally when one is being guided by love instead of fear. Although there still may be times in life where it is necessary to power through your own resistance and force yourself to take in more knowledge and act out of courage. Just like how fear and ignorance reinforce each other, knowledge and courage do the same thing. 
The more deep knowledge you take in, the more courage you'll tend to develop. And the more courageous you become, the more deep knowledge you have the opportunity to take in. Notice that I said the word deep. The reason why is because of a quote I included in the last episode of the show. The quote was by Alexander Pope. He said, a little learning is a dangerous thing. Drink deep or taste not the Pyrian spring. There, shallow droughts intoxicate the brain, and drinking largely sobers us again. A lot of people start studying a variety of the conspiratorial aspects of the world, and their lives actually get worse. They can get very depressed, adopt to victim mentalities, and maybe they even start drinking a lot more. One could say this person took in more knowledge and it didn't transform them into any sort of honorable, courageous person at all. Even though they learned a little bit more about what's actually taking place in the world, they haven't drank deeply enough of the Pyrian Spring. So many people get stuck researching surface level conspiracies and just stay there. They fail to realize that within the problems also lie the solutions. In actuality, studying conspiracies can teach you a ton about the very deep truths of reality that are completely transformative. See, when you don't end up studying the occult, what happens is that you begin to feel extremely disempowered and hopeless. This is because these people are tent pitchers. They haven't strived to go all the way to the peak of the mountain in pursuit of truth, and it is very dangerous to be a tent pitcher. It's almost better to not know anything compared to that. So from a place of knowledge and courage, we naturally progress to step two. Instead of abdicating your personal responsibility, you accept personal responsibility instead. In doing this, you reclaim your personal power instead of giving it away to someone else. When enough people claim their personal power, the power vacuum that I talked about in the fear flow chart disappears or gets eliminated. Without this power vacuum in place, no one that has bad intentions can claim any additional power and use it against you. So what does the world look like when the bulk of humanity has accepted personal responsibility and has reclaimed their personal power through the use of knowledge and courage? At least what we see at step three of the flowchart. Instead of centralization of power in the fear flowchart, where power becomes more concentrated into the hands of fewer and fewer people, we see decentralization of power in this love flowchart. This means that the power is dispersed more evenly among humanity. All the power is more spread out. Once decentralization of power can be observed, humanity has achieved a state of order and freedom both internally and in the external world. That is step four. You now have a very basic outline of what creates and maintains true freedom in the world. Personal responsibility and freedom are inextricably linked. They are tied together. Where there is true freedom, not the illusion of freedom, true freedom, then there has to be personal responsibility to create that condition. That is the law of the universe. It works exactly like a computer program does. When you're working with computers, you input a piece of computer code. The computer takes that input and then produces a result on the screen. We get to decide what we input into the computer of life. Our input is our being. Our input is how we are in the world through our thoughts, emotions, and actions. If we decide we are going to put ignorance and cowardice as inputs into the computer of life, then we get results we don't want. On the other hand, if we decide we are going to put in knowledge and courage as inputs into the computer of life, then we will get results we do want. I can't stress enough how important it is to understand and really internalize these flowcharts. You don't understand freedom unless you understand these charts. In fact, I'm recommending that you print both of these flowcharts out and tape them to a wall where you regularly see them. One of the keys to understanding freedom and creating positive conditions in the world is knowing this and knowing it well. 
Know it like you know your name. Verbally repeat the steps out loud before you go to sleep and first thing when you wake up in the morning. You need to be able to list these steps in your sleep. The last point I want to make about these flowcharts is that due to the law of correspondence, the dysfunction on the macro scale due to ignorance and cowardice on the world stage can also be seen on the micro scale in people's personal lives. The symptoms of dysfunction between each scale look different, but they arise due to the same root causal factors. When ignorance and cowardice is applied to the macro, on a larger scale, you end up seeing violent, coercive government institutions and large corporations trying to control everyone. When the same ignorance and cowardice is applied to the micro, on a smaller scale, in people's personal lives you can see a lot of undesirable manifestations. Government institutions aside, some of what you may see are unhealthy toxic relationships, financial troubles, poor mental health and physical health, and a general sense of unhappiness. This is what happened with the serial killer Elliot Roger that we talked about in episode 3. He lived in ignorance of how his mind worked and how to heal trauma. As a result of his ignorance, he failed to develop the courage to look within to heal himself. So what happened? He had very toxic relationships, threw a lot of his money away, and became so mentally unwell he went on a killing spree. Some of you may think it's not just ignorance and cowardice that makes the world the way it is. You may say it's laziness and apathy as well. That is true, but there are deeper reasons why someone is lazy and apathetic. They are lazy and apathetic in the world due to fear and ignorance at its core. What keeps people from being knowledgeable and courageous, thereby creating a condition of freedom? What keeps them in ignorance and fear instead? These are two very important questions. The slavery system currently in place would end tomorrow if most people were able to deeply understand the answers to those two questions. The very simple short answer is mind control. Getting into various mind control methodologies is a very deep topic that spans a variety of different subjects and fields of study many wouldn't expect. I'm sure when people hear the phrase mind control, it conjures up images of Hollywood's portrayal of magic, wizards, and witches. The reality of what mass mind control techniques look like on a mass scale is much less glamorous than what movies portray it to be, but I still wouldn't doubt there's some very strange phenomena taking place behind closed doors. It may come as a surprise, but mass mind control methodologies are really not that difficult to conceptually comprehend once they're explained. And once you understand the most heavily used techniques, you'll begin to see them nearly everywhere you look. I'll go ahead and briefly talk about the 14 mind control methodologies we'll be covering in the future. The first one is obfuscation. The goal of this technique is to create confusion within the population, so they cannot grasp the concepts properly necessary for liberation. The second one is worldview poisoning. Controllers know if they can poison people's perception of themselves and of others, then they can get people to think, feel, and act in a way that builds a prison planet for themselves and hands over even more power to the controllers. Next is the exploitation of primal fears. Mankind evolved to have natural fears in order to protect its survival. Manipulators attempt to deliberately evoke fear in the population and keep the fear there chronically because that is what ends up manifesting slavery in the outer world and creates the power differential these manipulators are looking to maintain and expand. The fourth mind control technique is divide and conquer. This technique attempts to turn the general population against itself. With the population warring with itself, the focus is taken off of those pulling the strings in the background. Next, we'll be covering indoctrination. In case you haven't figured it out yet, children put into the public and private school systems are not receiving a real education. Now, of course, they're learning some basic skills, such as reading, writing, and math, 
There's no doubt that's useful material being taught. Other than that, though, they are being indoctrinated, which means they're being taught harmful ideologies and being conditioned into a way of being in the world that will cause them nothing but suffering and slavery, ultimately, both for themselves and the rest of the world. The indoctrination didn't just start as soon as public schools started teaching critical race theory in the classroom. It's been happening the entire time, but without the knowledge and awareness to see it, parents have no idea what's really been happening to their kids since the inception of the public school education system. The sixth technique we'll be covering is called controlled opposition. Someone is controlled opposition when they pretend to be on the side of freedom for humanity and trick people into listening to them or taking certain actions they want them to take that end up being a waste of time or leads to undesirable consequences for the participants. Number seven of the methodologies will be the monetary system. This is a huge one. Human beings have been conditioned into acting in a way where money is the primary motivator. It's very easy to see it when considering how materialistic the Western world really is. Make no mistake, money has always been a tool for control for those people that call themselves the ruling class of this world. Without using the monetary system as a mind control technique, there'd be little they can really get done. Next is number eight, which is the control of mass media. Only six conglomerates own nearly all the mainstream media. Did you know that? Do you think they're not talking to each other? They know if they can collude and get all the mainstream media outlets to espouse the same narrative, most of the population will tend to believe what's being said without personally investigating the information themselves. Number nine will be food and medicine. This is another very big one. Just like with number six, the monetary system, this methodology doesn't directly focus on the mind by implanting thoughts and concepts like the other mind-controlled methodologies do. It attacks the mind indirectly. The mind and the body do not operate separately from each other. If the health of the body has been compromised, then that negatively affects the mind as well. The health of the body and the mind are linked, and this link cannot be broken. Poor bodily health will inevitably lead to poor mental health, and poor mental health will lead to poor bodily health. Through the use of poisonous food and substances that masquerade as medicines, bio-warfare is being waged against humanity. Manipulators know when they can damage the body sufficiently, then the mind will fail to operate optimally because the brain will get damaged as well. If they can destroy the health of the body enough, then they really don't need a lot of the other mind control techniques that attempt to deceive through thoughts and concepts because the subject will already be debilitated. At number 10, we have the illusion of time. Everything in society is intended to take you out of the present moment in some way. Society is either trying to get you to project into the future or dwell on the past. You're either anxious and fearful about the future or you're depressed and regretful about the past. Engaging in either of these activities chronically does no good for you. The key to well-being is being well-grounded in the present moment where you are neither anxious nor depressed. For number 11, we'll be talking about denial, hassle, and ridicule and the population policing itself. All sorts of psychological and social pressure is put on people that begin to search out the truth of what's going on. Talking about the pandemic will serve as a fantastic case study showing how pressure is applied in a variety of different ways to keep the population from figuring out the truth and engaging in the correct actions to free themselves from bondage. After we finish talking about number 12, we'll move on to talking about religion. When most people think about religion, they automatically think about the traditional cultural religions they grew up with or have heard about. These traditional cultural religions include Christianity, Islam, Judaism, and Buddhism. 
There's a lot more to religion than just these cultural religions though. In fact, new religions come into existence all the time, but they remain hidden to the public because the public doesn't know what a religion actually is. Therefore, they don't recognize them. We'll probably spend several weeks just on this topic alone. After this, we'll then discuss subversive symbolism. What this really is, is weaponized symbolism. Yes, symbolism can be used as a weapon. This type of symbolism is used to evoke certain states and emotions in individuals to get them to think, feel, and act in particular ways the so-called elites want them to act. This symbolism is an entire language in and of itself. Once again, it doesn't matter whether you believe symbolism isn't affecting you negatively. Anything based in natural law affects you whether you recognize it or not, and regardless of whether you believe in it or disbelieve in it. The next mind control technique we'll be discussing to wrap up the series on mind control will be the use of false flag attacks. How this works is acts of terror are either staged or carried out for the purpose of getting the public to go along with agendas they normally would have never agreed to go along with. This is done through fear and blaming the attack on a party that had nothing to do with it. Then if the order followers and enough of the public fall for the deception, these dark occult manipulators have successfully justified conducting violence against the party wrongfully blamed. The art and science of this is what occult researcher Mark Passio calls chaos sorcery. And this has happened over and over and over again throughout history on this planet. Even though these ruling class manipulators appear to have a lot of tools in their tool belt, every single one of these techniques can be guarded against. It is possible to continuously begin breaking more and more mind control over time. This can be done, but it takes time and determination. For those very motivated, a lot of it can be broken in a very short period of time. What's required to do this, though, is something they'll never be willing to give kids in the public school system. That is, a true education. What's required to break all this mind control is very deep knowledge of how each of the methodologies work and the courage to look at how darkness operates in our world. You don't look at it so that you can dwell on it and cause yourself unnecessary suffering. You look at it, but only long enough to learn from it. You only look at it as long as it continues to be practical and useful to do so. As soon as it fails to be practical and useful, it is a complete waste of time and you should stop. So many conspiracy researchers are stuck in this trap. They keep ruminating on the darkness just for the hell of it. They become addicted to the darkness just like a drug and can't stop dwelling in it. In other cases, it's because their shows are dependent upon the outrage porn dwelling in all the darkness provides. So these people have a financial incentive to keep doing what they're doing. Either way, doing this can be very destructive to a person's well-being spiritually, mentally, and physically. Extract what value there is in looking at the negative and only do it for that reason. This is why we do it. Apart from that, don't let it drag you down and instead focus on implementing empowering solutions in your own life and in the lives of others. That's it for this episode. Uh, my name is Justin Bauman. You've been listening to Liberty Solutions Now. My website is libertysolutionsnow.com. You could also find me on a variety of social media platforms, including YouTube, Odyssey, BitChute, Rumble, and a variety of others. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share this content if you find it valuable. Thanks for listening.